0: Uh, hey,
1: this is Ed. So this is a podcast, is that right? This is. Okay. I work this with podcasting right now. That's awesome. This is Straight from the Cutter's Mouth. Welcome to Straight from the Cutter's Mouth, a retina podcast. At least once a week, we aim to bring you insights and perspectives from the world of vitreoretinal surgery. I am your host, Dr. Jay Schreeder. Today, on episode 249, I am joined by Dr. Nita Sen, of the National Eye Institute. she is the director of the Uveitis and Ocular Immunology Service at the NEI, and we discuss designing uveitis trials and training uveitis fellows. Remember that a list of financial disclosures can be found in the episode description. In addition, you can find a link to go to the American Academy of Ophthalmology website to claim CME credits for this podcast episode and other podcast episodes. Straight from the Cutter's Mouth is now happy to be joined by Dr. Nita Sen, Dr. Sen is director of the Uveitis uh, and Ocular Immunology Fellowship at the National Eye Institute, where she is a Lasker Clinical Research Scholar at the National Institute of Health. Uh, she also is full professor of ophthalmology at George Washington University in Washington, DC. Dr. Sen, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me, Jay.
1: We start every episode with new guests with the same question. Why did you choose to be an ophthalmologist? And then why the specific interest in uveitis?
0: So um, to your first question, ophthalmology was, um, ophthalmology and immunology came together for me because I started, when I was in medical school, I started working with a cancer immunologist, and it really uh, intrigued me. Um, I started, believe it or not, by studying uh, immunology of the placenta. Uh, It's an interesting journey from the placenta to the eye, but when I started taking my clinical rotations, I really liked ophthalmology and they um, you know, the diversity of career opportunities as well as research opportunities it um, offered. I always wanted to combine surgery with clinical practice and research, and I thought ophthalmology provided all of these, and being such a um, an interesting neurologic organ, if you will, um, really uh, piqued my interest in terms of, um, the opportunities both for um, academically and clinically.
1: So you did your uveitis fellowship um, at the NEI, and now you're at the NEI. One of your biggest roles is designing and managing clinical trials. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about because we've talked about clinical trials with retina specialists for designing retina trials. And there's certain principles that apply across specialties and across fields in terms of best practices for clinical trial design, both from a scientific perspective but and from an ethical perspective. But, Uveitis offers some different issues from just a standard retina trial. So when looking at how to design uveitis trials, for example, comparing different treatment modalities, what are kind of the biggest challenges for uveitis trials and how have they evolved over your career in terms of, for, exam- uh, for example, um, measuring outcomes?
0: Mm-hmm. So you really point to a very important issue in our field. Um, uveitis has had a lot of interest in terms of clinical trials over the past decade. Um, since I have finished my fellowship 14 years ago, uh, really we have seen an uptick in the number of uh, clinical trials in the field of uveitis. But unfortunately we are still, if you will, plagued by uh, the problems in designing or the hurdles in designing clinical trials in uveitis. And I can tell you that, just just like you said, outcomes is one of the major issues. And the two issues we have in designing clinical trials, one is outcomes. The other one is the heterogeneity of the disease. And the two go hand in hand. You can't really separate one from the other. So um, one is that we don't have a great consensus on what outcomes are most relevant. Um, and it is because of the heterogeneity, because the outcomes that would define a success in clinically in some uh, forms of uveitis do not apply to the others. In retina diseases, perhaps visual acuity is a good outcome, but in uveitis, because the very disease can transiently affect the visual acuity and it can come and go, visual acuity is not always the best outcome. Yet, we can't ignore that either. Um, So I think that the, the field is coming together in trying to address this, either in terms of developing composite outcomes, which reflect Um, different components of a clinical outcome, whether it's macular edema, whether it's fluorescein angiographic leakage, whether it is cellularity or vitreous haze, combining them all together uh, in addressing this issue, or perhaps doing disease-specific outcomes, um, which are being implemented in one of the recent um, trials, which is advice trial that will probably come in a couple of minutes.
1: So, and before we get into that, one of the things that's been discussed, for example, is using imaging to measure outcomes. So we have these, you're part of the sun uh, sun group, which is the standardization of uveitis nomenclature. One of the big things I remember learning as a resident was kind of the sun categories for what constitutes each grade of inflammation in the anterior chamber versus the vitreous chamber. Uh, But now we may have quantitative ways to detect this. Are these new trials using things like anterior segment OCT or other sort of imaging modalities to quantify this beyond simply you know, measuring with a slip lamp, uh, by a bio-microscope?
0: Um, Jay, we are still in the exploration phase of that. I think that the anterior segment OCT is probably closer to the fruition. Um, however, they are not absolutely validated yet. Mm-hmm. And you bring a very important point. A lot of our c- outcomes, even when they are standardized, Um, they are still subjective, such as counting cells or grading haze. They have a standardization, but they are not objective. Uh, So with the imaging modalities, we are um, given the opportunity to use objective measures, right? But even those can have variations uh, in terms of the modality itself, and they need to be validated. There is... um, several papers on that that has come out and I think we probably are uh, getting closer than ever to implementation of those as outcomes. As far as I know, they are not part of the primary outcome measure in any of the ongoing trials as of yet, large clinical trials anyway.
1: Let's talk about some of those ongoing trials maybe and maybe things that are already done. What are kind of the biggest things you see on the horizon that you're involved with, the NIH is involved with that retina specialists out there who are managing Uveitis patients should be aware of?
0: Um, So if we wanna cover the ones that are uh, landmark clinical trials that have been completed and have contributed to our knowledge as well as have shifted perhaps our clinical practice, uh, we are lucky to have a few, uh, far less than the the retina field perhaps, but really um, several trials have answered very important questions. the If you look at the um, the network um, or the research group trials, must research uh, group is probably the the only real research group um, close to a network that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the must trial has compared systemic uh, steroid treatment versus Uh, flucinolone acetonide implant, as you may know, um, and have reported two-year, five-year, and seven-year results. Um, And that's one of the very big landmark studies in our field. Um, From the same research network, most recently came out the POINT trial, which compared intraocular steroid treatments such as dexamethasone intravitreal injection versus intravitreal triamcinolone injection versus periocular steroids. Um, and that was an important study that answered which of these um, uh, approaches may be most effective um, and what kind of side effects they have and found that you know, dexamethasone and intravitreal uh, triamcinolone were superior to periocular Um, but not uh, between the two. There wasn't much difference. Um, The same research network is currently doing advice uh, trial um, that compares um, adalumumab to standard of care immunosuppressive use um, that is currently ongoing and recruiting. And uh, MERIT trial is also, these are all sponsored by the NEI, by the way, um, extramural funding. And um, the MERIT trial also looks at various forms of intravitreal uh, steroid injections versus anti-VEGF injections and and intravitreal methotrexate. So that is also in the recruitment stage and has not completed yet. Um, The... In addition to the advice trial that is ongoing right now that I mentioned briefly, um, there is the ADJUST trial that is led by Dr. Acharya at UCSF uh, that is also sponsored by the National Eye Institute, and that is uh, looking at stopping uh, treatment when it is when it is a good time to stop treatment in childhood uveitis. Um, oftentimes, we know when the best time to start treatment is, but we really don't know much when the best time to stop treatment is in, especially children. Uh, So hopefully her study will be able to answer that question. We are collaborating on that in terms of biomarker development as well um, with with Dr. Acharya. Um, In terms of completed trials, one of the really biggest landmarks also is an industry-sponsored trial, is is a visual trials one and two and three, and that uh, has to do with uh, you know, importance of Humira the, or effectiveness of Humira in uveitis, posterior segment uveitis, and uh, visual trials uh, w- led to the approval of Adalimumab for uveitis treatment as the first biologic treatment to be FDA approved for for uveitis. So it it is very important. And um, most recently, Peach Tree trial uh, has um, published its results on the use of suprachoroidal steroid injection for uveitis-associated macular edema. So those are our um, um, studies that have um, shaped the field, if you will, more recently, and uh, a couple of the trials that are ongoing. And, um, you know, there are several um, other uh, trials as well, just for completeness, uh, in the interest of being complete as much as we can. Um, the There is a uh, the continuation of intravitreal serolimus study. It's a phase three um, uh, study looking at the effectiveness of intravitreal serolimus injections. Uh, it's a Lumina trial. And uh, if you go to smaller studies, uh, perhaps giving uh, appearing promising, but we don't have results yet, obviously. Um, there is the Ivansis intraocular uh, treatment for uveitis, which is a phase two randomized, um, open label multicenter study that evaluates the efficacy of a drug called EYS-606, um, injections. Um, and it's, it's unique in that it, um, implements, um, almost gene therapy, uh, to treat uveitis, um, Mm -hmm. with a TNF inhibitor into injected into the uh, into the ciliary body. Um, and there is also IL cytokine inhibitor treatment trials that, uh, part of which we are doing intramurally at NEI. And there's another study in France looking at the uh, usefulness of IL-12 slash 23 inhibitor ustekinumab in treating active uveitis participants.
1: That's a really, really sorry, that was stuff. a very no, long-winded no, explanation. No, that's a great summary. And some of those things definitely caught my interest. And we're gonna kinda of work backwards. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you talked about EYS six oh six. One of the hot topics in retina has been the idea of exploring gene therapy for not just, you know, our hereditary retinal diseases, which are more rare, but something very mm-hmm. common, like age-related macular generation. So it's exciting to hear that it's being potentially implemented for uveitis. Mm-hmm. A lot of these therapies and most of them that are being evaluated are local therapies. And one of the interesting things about uveitis that's fascinating is the percentage of uveitis cases that are correlated with some sort of systemic, you know, acknowledge something that can be verified systemic disease. And then the percentage of cases that there is no obvious systemic disease. It seems to be, quote unquote, a local process, but sometimes it's unilateral, sometimes it's bilateral, and there is some degree of systemic inflammation how do you think if we do get so eys 6 or any of these local therapies how do you kind of in your head as a clinician factor this in when you're managing uveitis patient do you think that for example that there will be uveitis patients who still will need some sort of systemic therapy even in the absence of a clear systemic syndrome even though their local ocular inflation will be controlled yeah go ahead
0: Absolutely. Um, I am slightly biased, perhaps, in my opinion, that uveitis still um, requires systemic therapy uh, for most uh, vision-threatening forms, even though, just like you said, we cannot identify an associated systemic clinical disease. Um, a lot of our um, Uh, diseases that are seemingly or clinically restricted to the eye, which perhaps best example is birth uveitis, for example, you can find pro-inflammatory cytokine signature in the periphery, which indicates that, you know, the peripheral, you cannot separate the eye from the body, right? Um, So while we do need systemic therapy, we also need local therapy because some of the complications, the most common of which is macular edema, best response to higher doses of whatever medication we are using in the eye. So I think we need both systemic and local therapies, um, but um, the the inflammation in its propagation perhaps still involves the peripheral system, immune system significantly. So I am definitely in favor of systemic therapy, but I often use local therapy either as an adjunct or in unilateral disease or in patients with multiple medical problems that preclude the use of systemic immunosuppressives. So my late boss and mentor used to say the local treatment is um If you think of the eye, the hot eye is a bi- boiling pot of water, and the local therapy is almost like adding cold water, but you're not turning off the fire. so I, I like that analogy a lot, but we sometimes need to you know cool the eye uh, while trying to turn off the fire. So we need both of them.
1: yeah, that's a, those are great points. and i I think that um it's interesting that I was talking to Dr. Acharya a couple of weeks back about the FAST mm-hmm. study and you know the idea of mycophenolate right. versus methotrexate. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have a lot of fascination as a field with quote unquote, the cool things, which are very useful. The local therapies, the injections, suprachoroidal therapy, gene therapy. And I think we both agree, it's great, like you said, to have more tools at our disposal, but it's still amazing how well some of these older drugs really, really work. Um, from a systemic standpoint and that was one of the things you know we can talk a little bit about the must trial but mm-hmm. that was one of the things i remember being surprised when i saw the results was how good systemic therapy was compared to for example a registered implant over a mm-hmm. longer term follow-up and, and that kind of ties back to one of the things we we're talking about difficulties with the uveitis trials you really need long long follow-up for these patients these are not these are many of these patients are very young and many of these drugs as well as yeah. local therapies have longer term side effects so When you're designing a trial, I think most of these trials seem to max out at five years, but when you interpret it, you you have to understand maybe as a clinician, these patients are probably going to be on some sort of treatment for 20, 25, 30, 35 years. How do you kind of factor that in when you look at these, you know, if you get a two-year result from a supracorettal injection or gene therapy, how do you kind of interpret that for your clinical practice?
0: Well, with a lot of grain of salt, (laughs) um... So, yes, that is a very good point, uh, Jay. We, a lot of studies actually are a year long studies um, in terms of um, novel drugs and uh, a lot of the side effects. Uh, go beyond that observation period, unfortunately. So yes, we have to kind of consider it in in the context as well as post-marketing studies, right? Uh, so those are very helpful post-marketing studies, longer term results, both on safety and the effectiveness of drugs. Um, and must study set a very good example in terms of showing what happens when the initial period of treatment ends. And uh, while they were at two years, for example, results on MUS, while it showed very comparable results with in terms of visual acuity. At two years, between systemic steroid or standard of care arm versus the um, red assert arm, at seven years, systemic treatment seemed to be doing better. Um, than the implant, um, but again, even that, even for a person like me who is um, who always looks uh, favorably towards systemic treatments, I think there were um, perhaps some things there that um, made that result come out in the sense that perhaps patients get complacent uh, when they get the implant and the reimplantation rate. Uh, wasn't that high. So all of these have to be interpreted in the context of the clinical study, but really MUST trial is the only trial that I know has followed patients that long, um, and that we need to do more of that just for the points you brought up. These are younger patients. These are working age patients, and the disease is not for a short term. It's a very long term disease, and so are the side effects of the medications we give.
1: Right. And and I think that, as you said, grain of salt is so important for all of these. There's even the best design trials we talked about, there's a subjective component, there's these limitations. Um, So let's tie this into education because one of your roles is you do serve as the UVI's fellowship director at the NEI. It's a little more of a unique fellowship. I think fellowships in UVI's can vary quite a bit in terms of how much of our is academic versus hands-on in the clinic. And and NEI fellowship seems to be a good mix of both. You know, why should residents or fellows, I I think a lot of them may have interest in uveitis, but either find it intimidating or not sure they want to spend the extra year doing the training. You know, why, if you had a resident or fellow listening, which we for sure will have listening to this episode, who has some sort of interest in uveitis and they like to pursue a fellowship, how do you kind of counsel them in terms of what sort of career options will be available to them afterward? You know, Uveitis is a small field, even smaller than ophthalmology or retina. Um, do you find that there still is, when you talk to your mentees or fellows you've trained, that there's still a demand, that they're still having success when they go out and into the world, whether it's academics or private practice?
0: Um, yes. So it, you hit all the important points again. Uh, it is a small field. Um, it um, often uh, mentees uh, combine it with either, say, cornea and uveitis for anterior segment or medical retina and uveitis. And I I think it's a very reasonable thing to do because a lot of these diseases have overlap, right? When the patient comes, they don't know that they have a medical retina related disease as opposed to uveitis. So getting both trainings at the same time help as well. But uveitis itself is something really, I talk to mentees it's not something you can do if you don't really love it. It probably goes for everything, but you know these are chronic disease patients that require care and and compassion, and um, so it, you really have to love it to do it. Um, and the, one of the things I tell them is that um, it is an it is a field really very open to research. So if they're interested in terms of in in doing research. Uh, In doing teaching, it is a great field. It is growing every year. The interest in uveitis, in terms of um, both research opportunities, both from the industry perspective or you know uh, government-funded research, there is so much to be done. So if somebody is interested in clinical research, I tell them uveitis offers a lot of opportunities in that regard. So does a lot of fields of ophthalmology, of course, and we are all really fortunate to be in that in this specialty we have a lot of good clinical questions and and a lot of unanswered questions even though that may seem frustrating sometimes uh, for people who are scientifically curious it is a great opportunity
1: yeah I thanks and I, we have to thank you and the other great mentors who inspire our residents inspire our fellows and keep people pursuing this field which again one of the biggest things is just the number of patients who need help in this field and uh and need good treatments, and need good doctors taking care of them. Uh, Dr. Sen, thank you so much for your time. Um, Any final words before we break about trials, about education, about uveitis as a whole?
0: Well, I think um, this current situation with COVID-19 has, um, you know, brought us all Together in the scientific community, and uh, infections in general kind of falls under the uh, fall under the purview of uveitis specialists. So I think a lot falls on us to identify hopefully what ocular, if any, um, effects um, come from coronavirus. So I, I expect a lot of uh, research on that as well.
1: That's a great point. We are, point ter- and, we and are currently we looking
0: into the ocular effects of coronavirus um, at NEI as well.
1: Well, we'll be, keep our ears peeled and our eyes ready to read those papers as <laughs> they come out. Dr. Sen, thank you so much uh, in these tumultuous times. Please stay safe and healthy and uh, look forward to talking to you soon, hopefully in person.
0: Thank you so much, Jay. Appreciate it. <clears throat>
1: As always, you can find this podcast and other podcast episodes on our website, retinapodcast.com. That's R-E-T-I-N-A podcast.com. All 249 episodes, including this one, can be found. there. are sorted by category. You can also find links to subscribe to our mailing list. That will give you emails with the most up-to-date episodes. You can also find us in the podcast store on your favorite mobile device, whether it's Apple or Android. You can contact us directly either on Twitter at Retina Podcast or via Facebook or by emailing us directly at retinapodcast at gmail.com. That's R-E-T-I-N-A, podcast at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who gives us episode ideas. This is a great episode idea, but Dr. Uh, Sammy Dar from Oklahoma and uh, anyone else who has great episode ideas, please let us know. We're happy to provide. We also appreciate anyone who leaves uh, reviews for our podcast in the Apple Podcasts app. Thank you, Dr. Nita Sen, for joining me. Thank you to Dr. Louis Kai, Dr. Mike Minakasa, and Dr. Angelo Chang for all the work they do on the podcast. Thank you, listeners, for the articles you read and publish, the conversations you inspire here each week, and most importantly, the patient care you deliver on a daily basis. This is Jay Schreler, signing off. Good feeling. This is straight from the (laughs)
0: Carter's mouth! (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye.